Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Lock and Key Unlocked, a podcast about Lock and Key, the comic book series from IDW, and the upcoming Netflix series from Netflix. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on this episode, we are going to be recapping Lock and Key Clockworks, the penultimate volume of Lock and Key, the comic book series. It's very exciting. As usual, I'll do a little bit of a caveat here that we are going to spoil the heck out of this comic book series. It doesn't necessarily spoil what's going on in the Netflix series. So if you want a primer there, if you're just interested in checking it out, that's absolutely fine. Uh, But just know, probably at this point, you should have read the previous four volumes of Lock and Key before you jump into this. Yes. Do your homework. Yeah. Do your homework, guys. Do a little reading. Read a book. Read a comic wow. book, not a regular guys, book. It's guys, too come on, man. Let's not be mean to people, all right? Nah, they deserve it. Wow. People? You can no. be a little mean. Yeah. No. We can be rude. No way, man. No way? Just nice? You're the nice one on the podcast, Pete? That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all wow. right. 2020, the year we finally get it right. <laughs> Stop so, pushing that. <laughs> so let's jump into some notes for the episode uh, before we really get into it here. Uh, Lock and Key Clockworks, as usual, published by IDW, written by Joe Hill, art by Gabriel Rodriguez, colors the by Amazing G- Gabriel Rodriguez. Yes. Uh, everybody else doesn't get a superlative just Gabriel Rodriguez. Well, he came on the show and he's the nicest... We should mention that, actually, if you are listening to this because we're posting these episodes both in the Comic Book Club feed and in the Lock and Key Unlocked feed, we're rolling out a bunch of bonus episodes, including we did a new hour-long interview with Gabriel Rodriguez, which is just in the Lock and Key Unlocked feed, and we'll tease another one in a second. We'll get around to that, but make sure to subscribe there because we got some cool stuff coming up for you. So, uh, Gritty Gabriel Rodriguez, Jumpin' Joe Hill, colors by also Jumpin' Jay Photos, and letters by... I I can't think of anything with an R. What's what's an R? Um, Let's see. Radical Um, Robbie Robbins. How about Rude? Rude Robbie Robbins. There we go. You know, it sounds like a shock jock. Uh, Clockworks is, as we mentioned, the second to last volume of Lock and Key. It is the beginning of the final act of the book over the six volumes. It was released between July 20th, 2011 and May 16th, 2012. It was originally titled very early in the process, Time and Tide, uh, but ultimately was changed to Clockworks. And I think that was actually Mm -hmm. after the first volume, even it was changed to Clockworks. So it was only very briefly Time and Tide. Now, let's talk about the media history. This is something we've been recapping at the beginning here because there's a lot of stuff going in the background of Lock and Key as the comics are going out. When we last left off, the Lock and Key pilot had finished filming for Fox, directed by Mark Romanek, and filmed throughout Pennsylvania. Unfortunately, by May 10th, 2011, between the release of Keys to the Kingdom and Clockworks, Fox did not pick it up. Now, 
I went back and I took a look. Come on, through. Fox. I know. Come on, Fox. Are you at Fox? What are you doing? Well, Fox, uh, Fox, here's here's what I think happened. This is based on I went back, read through multiple reports on this. There was a lot of conflicting information, but the most likely scenario of what happened was it really came down to the wire. And for those of you who don't know about the pilot process, it literally is. Wait, the, the wire TV show. No, it wasn't yes. The Wire on HBO or Lock and oh. Key. Uh, Fox, the board of Fox, the heads of Fox will sit down with a bunch of pilots and it literally like comes down to hour by hour making deals, figuring out financially what they can do, what makes sense for the schedule. Things go in and out and they ultimately decide the schedule and then release the schedule at network upfronts that happen in May. So... It, a lot of factors go into the decision. And as far as I can tell, what went into the decision here, Lock and Key really was like one of the last things that they really wanted to hold on to because they liked the pilot. But crazily enough, it seems like it came down to either Lock and Key or Alcatraz. And I don't know if you guys remember that show. Nope. It was actually canceled after about 10 or 13 episodes. It's Ooh. one of my favorite comic book adaptations. Well, oh, wait, you're talking about... Oh, sorry. It's one of my favorite jail to television adaptations. Is that the one based on The Rock, the movie? Nope. So Alcatraz was a J.J. Abrams show. It actually was pretty good. It started off rough, but it figured out as it was going. I think Sam Neill was in it and Hurley from Lost was in it. And it was about a bunch of prisoners from Alcatraz in the 1960s suddenly find themselves in modern day. And then there's a team who has to track them down. Uh, it didn't work, but it was a very expensive show. And ultimately, what Fox felt like is they didn't know if they had room for two expensive supernatural shows on the schedule at the same time. It's funny to think of like now everybody is like, yeah, supernatural all the time. Let's go for it. But back then in 2011, it felt like you could have one on the network schedule and that's it. God, 2011, what a time. What a time. What a crazy day. And they even explored other possibilities very briefly before deciding to not pick it up. They thought, can we make it into a limited series? Can we do that? But ultimately, as they figured out the budget for that, uh, they realized that would be that would blow up the budget exponentially because they wouldn't be able to diffuse it over a full season. And so they were seemingly very reticent to pass on it, but they did pass. IDW and the production company, which was 20th Century Fox, shopped it around to other networks, but nobody else picked it up. So it didn't work. It was too expensive. The other networks, it was canceled entirely. And then in a weird, rare move, IDW arranged for a special screening and panel for the pilot at that year's San Diego Comic-Con. And it was so packed, they added a second screening. There was also a screening added at New York Comic-Con because people really loved it. They had a panel with Joe Hill, Gabriel Rodriguez, uh, the writer EP, Josh Friedman, Alex Kurtzman, and Roberto Orsi. And if I remember correctly from the reports, they were all very honest about it and their passion about the show, which, of course, uh, panned out a little bit later on as particularly Mm. Kurtzman and Orsi stuck with it, though news wouldn't come out until much, much later. That said, we I will mention there was some news that came out on a little podcast called Comic Book Club. Yes. What? Yeah, May 29th, 2012, right after Clockworks wrapped, we had Joe Hill on our live show in New York City. Uh, We taped a podcast there, and 
As mentioned earlier, if you've subscribed to the Lock and Key Unlocked feed, we are doing a replay of that live show. We added some commentary to the beginning and the end, and that should be dropping the day after this podcast on Clockworks drops. That's right. We dipped into the archive. We opened up our Disney vault and pulled out a (laughs) classic comic book club episode. Mm -hmm. By the way, uh, are we ever going to release that podcast we did on Song of the South? Do you think that'll ever end up out of the archive? (laughs) Uh, No, that one sort of fell behind a little crack in the back of the vault where Mm. we don't find stuff. Oh, gotcha. Well, anyway, that that is rolling out as a little bonus of the Lock and Key Unlock feed. We'll be back with more of the media history after Alpha and Omega and, of course, rolling into the Netflix show real quick because I know there's a driving Pete crazy right now. I'm going to do a recap for what's happened in Lock and Key so far. After the Lock family patriarch, Rendell Lock, was killed by one of his students, the rest of the family moved to Lovecraft, Massachusetts to start over. Unfortunately, they discovered that Key House, where they moved to, was riddled with magical keys and an evil entity named Dodge who wants them, and one key in particular called the Omega Key. Dodge is a literal echo, the ghost of Lucas Caravaggio, a friend of Landel's, who was taken over by a strange entity from another dimension. More on that in a moment. He seemed to be killed at the end of the last volume, but had actually transferred his spirit into Bodhi, the youngest law kid, in something that I'm sure hurt Pete at his very core. Meanwhile, there's Tyler, the oldest, and Kinsey, the second oldest. They don't know Bodie has been taken over yet. However, they have their own issues. Tyler has had to grow up pretty fast after discovering Dodge's secret. Meanwhile, Kinsey has removed her fear and sadness thanks to the head key, but it hasn't really worked out for her. And meanwhile, certain events from the past of Key House, which stretches back to the Revolutionary War, have been playing out in the Guide to the Known Keys special features that appear in the back of Issues. And that's the broad overview of what's gone on so far. Let's get into Clockworks. Let's do it. But before yeah, we do, finally, before we do, a bunch Ugh. more recap. No. So I woke up this morning. Tell us more around, about the contracts in the TV show at Fox, Alex. Yeah, no problem. So Fox is a network. I don't know if Stop you remember Parker Lewis now. can't lose. He had a jacket. He had a friend with a jacket. And uh, he had a locker. Ooh, a friend with a jacket. Wait, his friend had the jacket, right? Like, he had the jacket. Who, you, who is this for? What are you doing right now? Stop I'm it. doing it for Parker Lewis. He can't lose. Well, <laughs> guess what? He's losing today. Stop it. And move the fuck out. Oh, I'm sorry. Wow. I forgot uh, Pete needs to catch a bus out of town, so he has to get That's out of right. here. That's uh, right. I want to get your general feelings on Clockworks. This is something we've been doing for every volume. How'd you feel about revisiting this one, Pete? Since you're so eager to talk, take it first. Uh, well, fuck you. Um, I, Thanks, it's man. just... Uh, I... The thing that freaked me out the most was the goat. I forgot how scary that goat was, and that fucking goat haunts me, man. I don't know what it wow. is, but that fucking face on that goat, uh, I've forgotten how much that fucking creeped me out, and it really creeped me out. The momentary evil Bodie that we get is also crazy creepy. I, I just can't say enough about the imagination and all the twists and turns, like... Every time I I read a volume, I was like, okay, I think I have a handle on what's happening in this book. Nope. Um, It does such a crazy, great job of like twisting and turning and keeping you guessing. And you're riding on this roller coaster that you really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I continue to be impressed by the art and storytelling in this book. What about you, Justin? 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> sort of similarly, like the stakes are so high in this volume and so many high and low points for all the characters. Like so much of uh, of the Locke family is about, uh, so, so much of this uh, whole story is about them not really knowing what's happening and what's going on. In this, that gets ratcheted up to the most intense degree when Bodhi is the bad guy. The one they sort of, the innocent kid they trust the most, and he's there undermining them and sort of succeeding. It's just so hard to watch. It's a, This is a tense uh, read, and I love that. But at the same time, there's these great moments of, uh, of Kinsey flying with the angel key and all these like moments of freedom and them sort of coming into their own. It's just uh, the way that this story in general is able to just ratchet things up with each volume while still telling us all this exposition and uh, and really still setting up the world while at the same time they're raising the stakes in the story. It's just great storytelling. About the exposition, I think we talked about this a little bit the last time, or at least I, I think I mentioned this the last time, but memory-wise, uh, the first four volumes have really stuck with me, but I think by this point, we were reviewing so many comics, I it's gotten a little jumbled in my head. Like I definitely remembered the things that happened in these last two volumes, but coming into this, it definitely felt like, okay, I don't remember what happens in Alpha and Omega and what happens in clockworks necessarily. Like I remember the broad strokes of things. So it was really fun to revisit this one. And I was so impressed by it not feeling padded out you know, that this is all necessary information in this volume. And to your point, there's a lot of exhibition goes on. But at the same time, we're for the first time spending a lot of time with background characters. Like it's a little less on Kinsey and Tyler and Bodie. They're the background characters here, sometimes literally. And instead, we're focusing on the Revolutionary War era, where we've really only got hints of it in the Guide to the Known Keys. And then also with Rendell Locke and his friends, which, again, we've only gotten little hints of here and there other than what we've seen in the modern day. But you instantly care about them. And I think that has to do with the way Joe is writing it, but also the way that Gabe Gabe is drawing them. He draws <laughs> you in and gets you involved. Put some respect on that name. I did. Uh, Gabe Gabe is the most... G-Roddy. G-Roddy. Yes, uh, Sorry about that's that. That's like when you call a doctor an MD. It's G-Roddy. Oh, okay. There we go. That's an official degree. Uh, but yeah, yeah. They, he, they draw you in... They get you involved in these characters instantly, and you care about them. And when ultimately... Most of the characters die towards the end of the Red to Lock era. It's a punch in the gut. And that they can make you care about these characters so quickly and so efficiently is a testament to the power of the story overall. Wait. When the, it's such a great, uh, they do such a great job of, uh, as you're saying, making you care about these characters because they all sort of rhyme with all with our, our mm-hmm. main characters. And so we get to see them suffering and going through the same uh, action and, uh, and key drama while at the same time they're going through all this uh, real-life teen drama. Um, and it's, it's such a great job of transposing our feelings and then being just devastated when it all goes down. Wait, neither one of you guys were freaked out by the GOAT? Yeah. I mean, okay. that was not my general broad strokes takeaway of this volume. <laughs> I guess I was focused more on the human death. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you, you love goats? No, it's just the way that goat is drawn is so creepy and scary. It just kind of like sticks with you. And like, uh, when I revisited, I was like, oh no, not that fucking goat. Yeah. I it really is the greatest like, of all time. I could go for some nice, uh, sticky goats too. Now Aww. that we're talking about it. 
I'll eat goat. Yeah. I love goat. Uh, one other what? little uh, goat's delicious. Uh, one little it's call deliciously out. evil. Yeah. Yeah, either you eat the goat or the goat eats you, Pete. <laughs> One other little call out. I love the covers for this volume, and I love the parallel of the first cover with, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. It's not Gaius. Crace, uh, I think. Crace. Yeah, Crace holding the Omega key with the bloody knife. And then the last oh. volume, uh, the last issue is Dodge doing essentially the same thing and holding the bloody feathers with the crowd of shadows on. They're really beautiful, and it really just points to the span of history that they're laying out in this book, in this volume. Uh, one other quick thing um, about the issue to issue. The recap page is changing basically every issue at this point. Mm. Um, and it does such a great job of ratcheting up uh, the tension while also just giving you just enough details to know what's going on. Yeah. Let's jump into the volume. Each issue does, as usual, tell its own story here, going back in time, though there is some stuff that uh, obviously continues from issue to issue. The first one, we start in such an interesting place. It is this flashback to Revolutionary War times, and we're instantly introduced to two characters who are parents. We don't find out until the second page that they're being hanged in front of their children. Um, Bummer. But I think, to your point... Uh, Justin, what instantly draws you in, whether you realize it or not, is the two kids are drawn clearly as ancestors of Kinsey and Tyler. Yeah. Like there's same facial structure going on there to the point where you start to think, wait, is this Kinsey and Tyler and they use some sort of a key? What's going on? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is we we don't know what's going on for this whole issue. I think you get sort of early on that, oh, this is, we're going to learn some origin stuff here, but we don't, we're like, what happened to our characters for most of this? Yeah. And then ultimately we do find out some huge information here, uh, how they discovered the black door down in these caves. It was a bunch of American fighters on the, on the American side in the revolutionary war. were hiding these kids hiding out for the British who had taken over key house. Uh, and they thought, I, I believe this is where the issue where the detail comes in, where they see this thing. And they're like, huh? What is that? That kind of looks like a door. And the next day they're like, oh, that definitely looks like a door. And then it turns into a door, uh, which is a fascinating detail. Ultimately, it opens. It drives this one guy insane. uh, And the, the entire issue, they're wrestling with, should they keep the black door closed? What does it mean? What happens when these entities touch you? Uh, and ultimately, uh, again, sort of like spinning through here. Uh, but Ben Locke, who's the younger Locke that looks like Tyler, who we fo- follow, discovers the Whispering Iron, realizes the Whispering Iron, which is the leftover of these entities where they come from our side of the door, as long as they're not touching anybody, is trying to tempt him. But he says, nope, it's going to go wrong for them. I'm going to make these keys. I'm going to lock this door and keep it closed. So what do you, and it isn't until the end that we get the revelation that somehow, as we find out later, it's through the time shift key, Kinsey and Tyler are there watching the entire time. Yeah. They're like us watching this go down. Yeah. So what what are your big takeaways from this issue in particular? I love the idea that um, that they created this a war between England and America that they fought for so freedom. Creative. Like, so creative. What a great fictional story. Right. <laughs> Particularly because we're such good friends with England right now. It's crazy to think, like, why would we fight? 
Exactly. We have a special relationship with them. And so that stuff is super interesting. And I'd love to Uh, see they're going to be doing this World War Key thing, possibly towards the end of this year, possibly next year. Like, how did that happen? Maybe we could go back and find out why the Americans are fighting the British. And I really wish, I hope Joe and uh, Gabriel spill the tea on that one. They got to spill that tea. Got to spill the tea. Uh, a lot of fun characters uh, there. This George Washington, who looks a lot like the guy that's on Quarters. Yeah. I want to well, see more I about like him. I like the fact, like, there's an implication. Are we still going with this? There's an implication that it's in the same continuity <laughs> as that Hamilton musical, another fictional oh, yes. musical. Can we please? All right. I want to talk I want to talk about this page where kind of like. The goat? Uh, you want to talk about the fucking goat? You want to talk Pete? about the goat? No. No, I just want to Real talk- quick, we just have to recap America. One second, then we'll be ready to talk about this comic. No, no, I want to just... 1776, New York City. When Salvin was talking about how, like, the the key or the kind of, like, the material they use to make the kind of keys, like, drive people insane, they show that in such a creative way where it's like this guy holds it up to his ear and it's like the camera is just zooming in more and more on this guy's face. And then you see in his eyeball... All the like keys and like the Omega key and all the keys around it. And it's such a great way to kind of share that now this person knows all about the keys and like has all the information. And it's literally three panels and it just is, it says so much and is so powerful. If you look hard enough in anyone's eyes, you can see all of this stuff they're going to make. I do want to talk about this move with Ben Locke here, uh, where, as we noted, he says, uh, the Whispering Iron's trying to tempt me. I'm not going to be tempted. It's going to go wrong for it. Why is he able to resist, and why does the Whispering Iron want him to make these keys? Yeah, it's it's weird. Like to your your point, uh, Pete, it's weird that keys are the thing that um, get it going. Because you think if it's not like it's part of the these other dimensional beings to be like, I want you to make keys, and then we'll eventually get uh, lose this fight to escape the, the door. Um, so I do think it's his interpretation, and it's him using because this he's a he's a locksmith. He's good at doing this, so it's him using his skills and being influenced. Maybe he is if he loves making these things. So that's what the whispering iron and these beings latch onto and are like, Oh yes, we'll take advantage of this skill you have. Do this. Um, that's what I, I take it as. I mean, I, I think he, go ahead, Pete. I was just going to say, I think the fact that like he is the good person in this and has the pure soul that like he is able to resist a little bit. And, uh, you know, knows kind of right from wrong. And then, as Justin says, is tempted because they kind of use the the the, the thing that he's good at to kind of get him. I mean, there's also a certain sense, and this doesn't necessarily answer the question that we were just talking about, but there's a little bit of Joe Hill's love of Alan Moore showing here because mm. the name of this issue is The Locksmith's Son, and that pretty much parallels, parallels The Watchmaker's Son yeah. from Watchmen. Uh, and... If anything, this is like this is kind of Ben Locke's Dr. Manhattan moment where he gets this power and figures out how to use it. It's also him struggling with the same thing where earlier in the issue, he can't fix a lock similar to how uh, John Osterman over in Watchmen can't fix a watch. 
And ultimately, he does figure out the opposite here. Like, he figures out how to make these keys. He figures out how to make these locks through this power and use it as responsibility. I think I haven't, like, I don't think it's a one-to-one parallel necessarily, but it's definitely something that I think was clearly inspired by this. Yeah, that's really, that's great. That's a good good observation. I also think it's interesting the way everything comes spins out of tragedy for the mm-hmm. Locke family. Like um, we, there's a reason we start with the, the parents being killed and that puts them on their journey in the same way that the whole story starts with um, the family moving back to key house after their father dies. So it, it is this sort of similar elements are coming together here to show that it's all happening again. Something that we see in so much of the, the pop culture and comic book stuff we, we look at. Yeah. The other thing that I I will mention that ties into this whole town being called Lovecraft, Massachusetts, is the goat battle. To get back to it for a second, the goat is shouting, blah, shab, begurath. And then later on, there's a very similar language, which is very Lovecraft, the eldritch gods on the other side of a portal, driving people mad sort of thing going on. Um, which is what makes it interesting to think about, like, what does what do these beings, what does the Whispering Iron want? Because in Lovecraft, you're not necessarily supposed to know. Like, they want the destruction of the world. They want to take over the chaos. world. They want to cut. Yeah, they want chaos. Uh, and that's pretty much it. But it does feel like, with a, this is not a spoiler, but we never really find out too much about the other side of the black door, even by the end of the series. And I'm curious to see if that is something that they're going to explore going forward. Oh, boy. I mean, uh, we get to hear the metal whisper in this issue. Yeah. And it's like, speak up, Iron. Tell yeah. us what you want. I want I want to see the shouting iron. That's what I want. Yeah. No, yeah. no you don't want that. Let's move, laughing on. Iron. Let's move on to the second issue, which is titled... Oh, we're, 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 another yeah. one quick thing here. Um, I just want to say the art in um, this this series, this um, this volume, it's much more detailed, a little more ragged. It's uh, more tragic, I think, throughout mm-hmm. this whole series. And we get to see that sort of uh, fading in here. And there's a great uh, moment later that's so cinematic. There's a focus pull where you uh, see in two different panels, you see uh, it's the same panel... And in the first one, the background is in focus and the foreground character is out of focus. And the next panel, it flips and the foreground character is in focus and the background character is out of focus. And it's so I've never seen that in comics. It's yeah. something that's so, so such a television thing or a movie thing. And it's so I, I just can't believe that they did that here. And I wonder if they were influenced by the fact that they were going through this TV mm. process at the same time. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I think if I remember correctly, uh, they were definitely drawing and finishing it up after that. But we talked about this in the last podcast that they broke the end of the story, Alpha and Omega, while they were on set uh, filming the Fox yeah. pilot. So, yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, I don't think there's any way of filtering that stuff out of your head as much as you'd like them to be two separate processes. Yeah, they feed off of each other. Uh, let's jump into the second issue, though, which is titled Smash. Uh, after that great cliffhanger of, wait, how are Kinsey and Tyler there in the past at the Revolutionary War? We jump back in time and then eventually loop up to that with the time shift key. But it starts with this awful scene of Bodhi, Ugh. who has been taken this over by This whole issue is fucked up. Yeah. We'll yeah. talk about that a little bit. Uh, why, why does it strike you that way, Justin? 
it's so tragic. I mean, we've we get to see Bodhi do this horrible act of pushing this just poor innocent kid, his same age, in front of a bus, um, killing him, and yeah. that runs through uh, a couple issues here. And it's just to have this character. We've never we haven't really seen Bodhi be bad yet, be influenced by Dodge, and the fact that it starts with this just gut punch of an act. Um, is it's just such a hard, and then the issue goes on where a bunch of other bad shit happens, and finally Dodge in Bodhi's body gets the Omega key. Yeah, it's just such a bummer. Yeah, well, I yeah. mean, adding in well, that throughout this issue, uh, just to give a broad overview of the plot, uh, after this kid gets killed, uh, Bodhi, while he is looking. Bodhi slash Dodge while he's looking for the Omega key accidentally breaks the smash cola bottle that is holding Kinsey's fear and sadness. They end up crawling inside Tyler's head. It completely screws up the balance of what's going on in Tyler's head. And as they go to this kid's funeral, he shuts down. He freaks out. He tries to burn down key house, uh, leading to the moment where Kinsey gets her fear and sadness back in her head, uh, but also, as you mentioned, Dodge ultimately gets the Omega key. Um, But it's great. There's so much payoff in this issue. Like they set up, they called it a smash cola uh, bottle volumes prior, and we finally get to see how that pays off with this brawl between the feelings and the emotions going on in Tyler's head. And it it ties into the overall hero arc that's going on with Tyler at the same time, right? Like you get the refusal of the call here, but through the lens of Kinsey's emotions ending up in his head in such a neat, smart way of doing that. Yeah. Uh, Everything about this. I also think uh, real quick, sorry, Pete, um, that we didn't know why the Omega key was in Rendell Locke's urn really. mm -hmm. And it, Based on this issue, it feels like it was also hidden inside his head when he died, and his body was cremated, and it was swept up in the ashes into the urn, and that's why it's there. Yeah. Well, that's one theory. I still think it wasn't in there, and then she put him, she put the urn back in that little closet cabinet thing, and that's when it became in there. Oh, interesting. Um, but I just want to talk a little bit about the push in front of the bus, and then I was when I was reading this the first time, I was like, okay, there's no way they're going to show. But the next panel is this horrifying thing of, like, the bus parked and, like, the kids are trapped on the bus. Like, they're not letting them off the bus but because they would have to step over this mangled, bloody body that's underneath the bus. And it is such a scene and such a... And, like, in one corner, you have, like, the pretending-to-be-scared evil uh, Bodhi, you know, like, covering his tracks. And then just, like, the faces of all the kids on the bus, the, like, principal or teacher trying to, like, corral people away from the scene. It is an unbelievable panel of comic books. It is great. Yeah, I, oh, go I ahead, I love Justin. the kite is a death's head moth uh, mm-hmm. there. I, that's just a nice little touch. Every time I see that mother, you think of Clarice. <laughs> yes. Uh, Who is Clarice? Clarice is an, uh, someone you murdered or? Yeah, Silence you, of the Lambs, bro. You pushed her in front of a bus? No. What about the Silence of the Lambs? What, is that like the goat thing you were just talking about? No, you guys are ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, sure are. So uh, another thing that I want to call out, we talked about how Dodge is in the body of Bodhi. I love 
how Joe writes the dialogue for him because it's clearly he gets the voice out so clearly of Dodge trying to ape Bodie but not yeah. being totally successful at it because he's an evil dick. So you get things like him <laughs> talking to Nina and Nina being like, oh, I don't drink anymore. And I'm saying, that's silly. Of course you want to drink. You always say you can't eat your own cooking without some wine, which is like almost something that a child would say, except it's the most vicious possible thing that Bodhi could say yeah. at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. He's innocently evil throughout this whole issue, and it's really... It's really well done. Yeah. The whole thing's well done. I also, I love the inside of, uh, of Tyler's head, how we get all these visions of his different emotions, how his hero and of note, like his hero is a little child version of a hero. That's the only positive emotion that he has, but the shield and the weapon that it's wielding are the fishing hook. That yeah, it's, like a, his head. it's a personification of the hat and lure from his uh, from, that he wears on his head, which is like his father mixed up with his like force of will and his own pride. And it's just such a subtle, smart choice to to make it that it's great. Well, and it's also, of course, foreshadowing what we find out at the end of the book, that that is the weapon, the defense that Rendell has left for Tyler and gifted for Tyler. So even yeah. if he doesn't know it yet, he's, he knows it, which is great. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the book, uh, along with the Omega key and we get Kinsey getting her emotions back, which I think is a really wonderful, beautiful move. Uh, Tyler knocks over a clock while he's trying to burn down the house and discovers the time shift key, which we jump into in then, well, it was start to jump into a little bit in the, the next couple of issues. Uh, should we jump forward, talk about the Tamers of the Tempest? Uh, yeah, the only other thing I want to say is the way that we see Bodhi having the Omega Key just in the backdrop. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's such that a, it's so smartly smile. done because, yeah, you see it in a couple different panels and it's as if we're following this sort of lower stakes thing they're dealing with with Tyler. And then you just see, and I feel like he has such trust in the in the, the the guys have such trust in their their readers to notice how important that is and how terrible that is before the characters can even notice it. Yeah. Um, and it's just really well done. Well, and also structurally, with not just the miniseries but the series as a whole, this happens at the end of the second of six issues. So. Going forward, it is this thing where you expect, okay, it happens in the second issue. It's going to pay off on the third issue, but it doesn't. It doesn't pay off until Alpha and Omega, like mild spoiler there, but it doesn't happen in this volume. And because it doesn't, again, it doesn't feel padded out. It feels like it's this thing looming in the background and the tension just builds issue by issue because Dodge finally has the thing that he wants when is he going to use it? It's this sort of Damocles hanging over their heads the entire time, and it makes it more horrifying the longer it goes on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stressful. Let's jump into the Tempers <laughs> of the Tempest, because, again, uh, we get a we finally loop back 
to that big double page spread that oh, we talked yeah. about quite a bit with the Tempest production. Uh, and we find out what's going on there. Tyler and Kinsey discover the time shift key and we get rules for the time shift key. We find out it's got a Y2K bug. It really only goes up to 1999. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> which is very fun. Uh, and it goes all the way back to 1775. Uh, we loop back. We find out visually they're black and white. They can't interact with their surroundings with the time shift key. They go back to revolutionary war times. We get to see uh, Pete's favorite character, the goat. Uh, yeah, shows... the goat. A flashback to the goat pre-possession. Mm-hmm. So fun, Pete. Yeah. Oh, it's great. How'd you feel about that, Pete, seeing that goat again? Freaks me out every time I see that fucking goat. Even yeah. when he's just a regular goat? Yeah, I know what he becomes, man. Man, we, I got to take you to the zoo, dude. You're going to lose your mind. <laughs> <laughs> you can pet that a real goat and be scared. It's true. No, thanks. Uh, so they also find out, uh, which is such a neat way of doing this, but without getting into any puns, there's a bunch of key dates that they have written uh, oh, on the side come of the on. clock. I'm sorry. I was trying to think of another way of saying this, but that's the way to say it. So, uh, Yeah, as you set it up, you're just like, oh, I can't. You're ridiculous. I mean, I felt bad about it, as I was saying it, Pete. <laughs> shame. I don't think so. Uh, you should feel shame, Alex. But it's a, I do. I'm horribly ashamed. Uh, but it, it's a nice way of getting us to the good stuff and not having kids or Kinsey and Tyler have to figure out everything that they can just jump to these moments. They get to go see the Tempest and find out what's going on there. Uh, and then we get to see the aftermath of that, the after party going down to the drowning caves. And that's where we really start to get a setup of these relationship with Rendell's friends. Uh, we find out that Rendell is dating Kim, who's the mean hot girl who just wants to act. Uh, Very Mark... similar to Tyler dating Jordan, mm-hmm. wanting to date Jordan. Uh, and Mark Cho is clearly in love with Kim, has been trying to set her up with a casting director so she can get out of there at school. Uh, Ellie looks at herself as ugly and terrible, and Kim is super mean about that. But Lucas, pre-Dodge, is the nicest guy. Like, absolutely yeah, I'm the nicest guy. I'm not buying guy. it. Why? What? What, what are yeah, you talking about? I don't nice. believe it. It's all fake. No, it 100% isn't. <laughs> No, no, he's one of those actor dudes. You can never trust him. Yeah, totally fake. Pete, as a classically trained actor, I take offense to that. Um, actors are nice people. Nah. Also, I think that's the whole point. Like, the whole point is that Lucas legitimately is in love with Ellie, sees her as beautiful, is best friends with Rendell, respects and likes everybody, and that's what makes the tragedy of what happens to him all the worse. Yeah. Like, he's not faking it. It's It takes the best guy and it turns him into the worst guy. I don't know. We've just seen too much evil stuff with him to uh, to believe that. I mean... I well, think you do have to believe that because that's actually what's going on in the issue. That's literally the point. Yeah. I mean, that's your interpretation of all the facts, but, you know. <laughs> well, right. So if you interpret the facts, that has to fall out. But if you're a crazy person that ignores the facts, <laughs> there you go. I think, uh, just to throw it out there, Pete, you are the whispering iron goat of this podcast. Yes, Aww. that's 100%. I was I with hope you until ju- you said goat. Uh, no, I hope you're I a jury member all time. on the... The worst of all time? Worst of all time. You're the woat. The woat? <laughs> uh, and then at the end of the issue, Rendell realizing, really wanting to help out Kim, 
decides, you know what we're going to do is we're going to release a demon from the black door and make a new key that takes off not the curse, but the protection of key house that past the age of 18, you forget the magic that's inside. Uh, And this gets to, I think the crux of the volume that this is the tragedy. This is the sin of Rendell Locke that sets in motion the events that ultimately doom the Locke kids in the future. And himself. Yeah. It sets up his own death because he's just greedy. He's greedy about the keys. Yeah. Um, because they're, they're having such a great life. I mean, that's what it's so good. Like, uh, Tyler and Kinsey go back in time to see these epic moments. Like, how can we figure this out? They almost go back to watch Bodhi and that would solve everything. But instead they're like, we, let's go see dad. They go back and see him. And rather than seeing these like super great secrets, it's just teen cruelty and like these, uh, kids being, just not being able to figure themselves out and that setting up all of the things that happened to them. It's so, it's so, uh, I love how down to earth all of the issues uh, that cause all of this tragedy are. Well, and it ties into what happens with pretty much everybody as they're growing up, right? You know, when you start off, you idolize your parents, you think they're perfect. They're your dad is the strongest. Your mom is uh, the smartest. Uh, My dad is is the strongest and my mom is, is the best. Sure. But uh, my dad is the strongest and my mom is the smartest. Uh, We can talk about this on our other podcast. Whose dad is stronger. Uh, But, but my point being that they're frozen in time with that because Rendell was killed by Sam Lesser. So this is that point of growing up where they go back and they find out their dad wasn't perfect and made mistakes just like they did. And if this whole series is, about their process of growing up and growing into adulthood. That's a crucial part of that. Yeah. And the other I mean, thing that's important here is just uh, great high school theatrical productions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is one of the best productions I've ever seen. It is very good. I mean, we did something similar when we did Bye Bye Birdie. We used a bunch of keys to really like really <laughs> oh, wow. amp that one up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, we really made some beautiful uh, makeup. The makeup we used in our production Mm -hmm. was so magical. Right. We put a bunch of lipstick on keys and just sort of rubbed it all over the place. It was pretty sweet. Let's move on with the next issue, the Whispering Iron, because, again, I, I... Every single issue of this is a big issue, but this continues the flashback to Rental Lock and his friends that's so important. Uh, We find out in this issue that despite the fact that Rendell is with Kim and loves Kim, Ellie loves him. No, sorry. It's uh, Aaron Voss. Aaron Aaron Voss loves him. And he clearly has feelings for her back. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, that's the sort of uh, the next tragedy in this is Aaron is the voice of reason and the sort of the one who truly loves Rendell and he doesn't listen to her because of this sort of more in the moment teenage crush on Kim. And it's just uh, it's just what we do. We, we as people do as mm-hmm. we fuck up. Yeah. The other thing that I'll mention here. So uh, Duncan is very little. He's about Bodie's age, maybe a little bit older, and he really wants to be involved in everything the big kids are doing. Uh, yeah, so he classic. Fa- yeah, we flash back to that moment we saw earlier 
uh, two volumes back, I think, where Duncan follows them down to the drowning caves. And here we see Lucas telling him, hey, this is what the Black Door is. This was going on the Whispering Iron. If you promise to not go here and not follow us because it's too dangerous, I'll tell you everything. And he tells him everything. And I... In the first podcast we did, in the first volume, we had a conversation where I said, I don't exactly get what Duncan Locke's purpose is in this series. And I think that was because I completely forgot about this. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> Because he, Rendell screws up, and then Duncan ultimately is the one that dooms them uh, because he uses the anywhere key to travel down, follow them. He really wants to see what's going on with the black door. And that's the moment where they open up the black door as they're doing it, because he comes out. Lucas again, to the point of like Lucas being a very good guy is freaked out, wants to protect Duncan and ultimately gets stuck in the black door and take it over and turns into Dodge, yeah. which is so sad leading up to that last paddle of him turning or, from Lucas to Dodge, uh, saying, uh, they're like, wait, what, what the fuck is happening? Something wonderful. Yeah. Uh, or he, he was faking it the whole time so he could just pull no, this off. So he's not faking it the whole time. He, what that is a, truly a crazy idea. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you Do you have any much. other Appreciate big it. takeaways for this issue? There's a lot of plot stuff that goes on, but as we mentioned, there's a lot of character stuff uh, where we find out how everybody is tied to each other at the same time. Uh, I just... It, yeah, Pete. What's what's crazy to me is the number of trips that kids take to a place called the Drowning Cave. If it was called the Drowning Cave, I would never go there. That just seems like a horrible place to go. But what if it was called the Homework Cave? Yeah, I would still never go there. Which is scarier, okay. the Drowning Caves or the Homework Cave? Homework Cave. Oh, All day. What if it was the sex, the sexy sex cave? <laughs> Did you go there then, Pete? Uh, it depends on how old I was. That's where Pete goes every night. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Boy. High five me. Yeah, I know we're on crazy. Skype, but just high five me real quick. Come on. Got you. Come on, my hand. My hand's up to the camera, Pete. Come on. Oh, nope. yeah, Justin high five me. Yeah. Pete, not high five Sex cave. Yeah. <laughs> You're uh, the worst. Speaking of high five, I love that this issue opens with some sweet double guns from Randall Locke. My man. It's so funny. <laughs> I love man. a double gun. Uh, yeah, I do. I, uh, this issue is great, and it does continue going. Like, we sort of have this chunk of three issues in the middle that, well, four issues, I guess, but it really does feel like these three issues are of a piece because uh, Chapter 5 is Grown Ups. This is the one where everything goes wrong. Uh, Lucas has been taken over by the Whispering Iron, and we get a great move here. Like, this is one of my favorite moves of the series, and it still goes wrong after this. But after everything goes on and Lucas says, no, I'm fine. It didn't get me. I'm cool. Rendell is asleep. Dodge comes in, puts an axe to his neck and is like, hey, where's the Omega key, dude? Give me the Omega key. But everybody is waiting for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I love this. Uh, well, real quick, before we go, yeah. go fully into issue five, um, I wanted to say, I don't know if they actually did this, but there's so many little clues f to set up World War Key in these two issues, number four and five. Like, we get uh, stuff about how the soldiers use the keys to win the revolution, which is a is a wild idea that they just sort of casually reference. That's in issue a true four. fact. 
And then in issue five, they open, um, we get to see the inside of Dodge's, Lucas slash Dodge's head. In the top right corner, there's a bunch of Revolutionary War stuff there. Yeah. And it's, again, like being like, they were just, either they knew they wanted to do that in the future, or they were just like, ah, throw it in there, maybe we'll get back to it. Like, it's just wild how it's all coming true. Yeah, well, it's yeah. in that uh, that Hamilton musical that we were talking about earlier. There's that yes. song, Stop. I am not Stop. throwing away my lock. I am not throwing away my lock. Yes. Uh, Good y- stuff. If you, really li- if you really look, there's a lot of, like, lock and key stuff. I'm t- starting to remember back in elementary school, like, even the history books I was reading had references to this lock and key, Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. like, Paul Revere. Like, that's it, and it's a character uh, in... In lock and key. Yeah. Well, he ran through town and said, oh, hey, hey. All right. The, uh, all, right. The, all right. All right. <laughs> the Listen. whispering iron is coming. Run, run for your lives. I want to get back to this axe Paul Reveal was like, ah, shit. Uh, fucking whispering iron's coming. Yeah. Uh, Notorious potty mouth on that guy. <laughs> I want to say, when we see him with the axe up to his neck, before that, there's this amazing, like, full shot of the key house with like a full moon in the background. And that is just like such an amazing start to what's about to go down. And it's a blood. Uh, moon. It's like a, yeah, it's a full blood moon. And it's like, Oh my God. Uh, just such a cool way to kind of be like, shit is going down. Yeah. Now. Moons are, fu- are fucked. Moons and goats are fucked up and don't look at them. Yeah, <laughs> you go blind. Don't look at him. Now you mentioned uh, uh, we do get this double page spread of the inside of Dodge's head, which is so phenomenal. At parallels when we first saw that head key double page spread inside Bodie's head, and yep. there's so many messed up images here that, as you mentioned, just like there's things like we get to see old Joe Ridgeway at his head. It's the entire yeah. span of the series. We get to see fencing, which is something we've touched on. Uh, we get to see the wolf heads. Uh, we even get to see later on, like there, there's all of these images that they're littering throughout that tie together things in the series. And it's so smart. Yeah. Yeah. But in the end of issue four, we get the keg party, which sets up the, the final prom party at the end mm-hmm. of uh, the series. And one of the thing going slightly backwards, um, I love the meta move of Rendell talking to his future kids, and they actually are yes. there to hear Oh, him. I forgot about that. Uh, that's such a, a nice uh, way of being like, generationally, this is all connected, and they're all so aware of their power and comfortable using it. Assuming anyone, anyone who has access to the keys will exploit them to the, in the same way that they did yeah. is really fun. And I want to say, why does the house show the keys to the youngest person? Uh, because I think that's the most fun. Like, well, also, they're the most innocent and more likely to yeah. believe everything because what you can age out of knowing about the magic of the keys. So they're the least evil. Yes. And yeah. also the most trustworthy because... They will hold the knowledge the longest and for the longest amount of time. Well, that's now, something. As, who, you're the who, oldest member of this podcast, right? Mm, fuck you. Do you feel like you're losing touch with the magic of our podcast? <laughs> yes. And yes, as the I youngest, am. as the youngest, I feel like I'm like really in the mix, just like mm-hmm. awash in all the the must, beauty and must be so nice, man. 
<laughs> yeah, you're really finding a lot of uh, key moments, I would say. Yes, oh, exactly. Boy. Finding so many magical key moments. Shoot uh, so they end up taking all of Dodge's memories, or most of Dodge's memories, out of his head. They put them in a bunch of jars. Uh, and then we get another interesting detail that uh, we find out that they've used the echo key to bring back Rendell's mom who died again with this generational reverberation that clearly his mom died young as well. But it also lays in the fact that like the echoes are not evil, which I feel like is a little bit of a little detail we needed to clarify at this point, uh, because you could assume, okay, they brought back the echo of Dodge. That's naturally evil, but no, that's because of the whispering iron. Uh, we also get an absolutely awful scene of Lucas back at Lovecraft Academy. Uh, he's shoving food in his mouth and talking about how oh. he basically sexually abused uh, a girl the previous night. Awful. But that also leads to, on the note of people making mistakes, Ellie screws up by going into the wellhouse talking to read the echo of Rendell's mom and looking at the jars, which is what leads Dodge there. He pushes all the memories back in his head. She pushes the echo of Rendell's mom through the door, which makes her disappear. And ultimately leads to Dodge figuring everything out. I'll also notice, uh, mention on the reverberation thing, the final paddle as Lucas is holding Ellie's hair over wheelhouse. One oh. of, one of the memories slash dreams slash hopes that Dodge had is biting her lip off. And that's what ultimately happens to her and kills her in the quote unquote present. Yeah. Another, another quick thing there. Uh, Ellie pushes Mrs. Uh, Locke out the door, the same push she couldn't do to her mother or Mm -hmm. won't be able to do Mm -hmm. with her mother later in her life to kill her mom. I just thought the, Pushing mothers as a theme for Ellie being sort of a weird. Yeah, well, I mean, I think very purposely what they're creating here is echoes, like with the past. Uh, So smart stuff. Uh, And then the last issue, Curtain begins with what looks like Ellie being killed by Lucas, roided up with the Hercules key, Uh, but it's not. It's actually a memory. He's putting them all in their heads. Uh, We get. Duncan has used the gender swap key to change him to a girl. Clearly hasn't figured out that he's gay yet, but he is playing around with it uh, and trying to figure out his own sexuality. Uh, And we get so many big moments here. We get, I don't know, is it called the owl key or what is it called? This flying clockwork owl thing. I think it is the owl key. Uh, Let's, I'll look it up real quick while you're also talking. Yeah. Uh, So he uses this key. It's very Ray Harryhausen, which I think emphasizes the whole epic mythic nature of what's going on in this issue. Uh, Archimedes. It is the owl key. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Uh, And uh, Dodge uses the gender key to delay Mark, who has the shadows and is trying to get uh, on top of him. Uh, Dodge is now a woman. Uh, He uh, tries to seduce Mark. Which we leads. get a real sad boner. Saddest boner. The saddest boner. Come on. It. What is it? It was a happy boner. What you have? Do you have a sadder boner, Pete? Yeah. <laughs> name a sadder boner. I'll wait. name a sad. Name the saddest boner. <laughs> Pete, come on. Do we, what do we need to focus on this? Let's move you on. You spent, I want to say, conservatively, fifteen minutes talking about a goat paddle. I think we could spend like a minute talking about a boner. Yeah, it's this already boner too panel, long. This boner panel is my goat. 
Great, greatest of all time. (laughs) Greatest of all two menaces, if you ask me. Oh, boy. Look at you with the boner words. I've got an entire dictionary here of boner words. Oh, stop. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's not make this a stiffy and move on uh, because (laughs) we get Dodge Stabs Mark, takes the crown of shadows, steals Duncan, goes to the drowning caves. Uh, leaves. We we get some important information here because uh, Dodge has created the emergency break glass jar with the memories that ends up being Ellie's undoing later on, hides it in her house. So lots of uh, little plot threads being tied up here. Uh, but Mark also has time as he's lying dying next to Ellie to write an entire note and leave clues for everybody. Uh, And ultimately, Mark Cho dies a hero, which I think is kind of great. Yeah, it does. And Ellie doesn't necessarily make up for stuff, but while everybody's trying to get Duncan back in the drowning caves, while Dodge is trying to open the black door, Ellie sneaks in through a passageway that we, again, got set up volumes earlier, where I think we even called out, we're like, that's weird, there's a door in the drowning caves. Yeah, we did yes, say that. We did. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out, yeah, all right, that's what Ellie is using. She uses Archimedes, the owl key, to take the crown of shadows from Dodge. Everything falls apart. Uh, Kim dies trying to save everybody. And Dodge, the uh, rocks fall on her slash him, killing her, which is why we saw her drowned in the drowning For- caves later on. Foreshadowing the thing, the thing for with Justin's rocks, though, is rocks death. don't always kill the characters no, that get no, hit by them. No, them. Okay. clearly Here dead here, just like clearly you die. Yeah, interesting, it, though, that, that Dodge comes back to be the villain of the series. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. But uh, very definitively, rocks, this is foreshadowing for what happens in the final volume, Alpha and Omega, definitively kill people. Yep. They're dead. No question. About I don't it. think that's at 100% true. No, because if you then drag that body to, let's say, a doctor... You know, they would be like, yeah, dead. Yeah. The thing is, that rock clearly lands on um, Lucas. uh A lot of times you can't tell where a rock lands unless you really see it. All right. I'll tell you what. Let's loop back to this conversation in one volume. Alpha and Omega talk about it a little bit more uh, because we get even more tying in. uh, We find out why the head key, which led, which was the first discovery, uh, second discovery, excuse me, that uh, Bodhi made. Ended up in the river. We get a parallel of Kinsey and Tyler looking into this reflecting pool with Ellie and Rendell, two of the only people left there. Uh, oh, we should also mention another little detail that gets uh, looped in is Erin has all of her memories taken out by Dodge. That's why she ends up in the insane asylum in the mental ward where we first find her. And ultimately, uh, we get we get the ending is Tyler and Kinsey have seen everything. They've gotten all the information. Tyler realizes that his fish hook was made out of whispering iron. And we end heading into the final volume. Kinsey with a photo of her father crying. Bodhi with the blood moon in the background holding the Omega key and Tyler staring his hat. Uh, that's the end of the volume. There's nothing like a good hat stare. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's a statement I think about all the time. Uh, Final, any final thoughts? Uh, I know we were kind of zooming through this volume. There's so much information here. Any additional things you want to talk about other than goats? 
uh, <laughs> goats off the table. Uh, I do. I love the way in this issue we uh, the way that uh, Cho carries the keys around uh, the mat, the crown of shadows in his backpack. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that just points to how every character, all these, all, everything that puts into motion all these like high stakes tragic events it's built around kids and it's kids who make mistakes act on emotions um do things that they an adult would never do and that's the motor of this whole series and the keys give power to these like wild emotions and it's i i love that as the driving force of the whole series uh i i just want to say that like Every volume you think, holy shit, like, how are they going to? And it's just been like, they leave us in such a fucked up, but a little bit hopeful place at the end of each one. It really was kind of like, I wanted to keep reading and not stop it really, uh, you know, from the first page of the comic book grabs you and never lets you go. This is a really powerful storytelling that they're doing. And just rereading it, I'm just like, holy crap. We talked I was about- rereading this. I was rereading this late at night and at like 2 a.m. I'm like, I should go to bed. I have to get up early. Yep. Uh, and I just couldn't not read, yeah. go right into Alpha and Omega wow. after this. And then I'm just in bed, like crying like a psychopath <laughs> at like three in the morning. <laughs> And I got to get up like four hours later. It was crazy. Yeah. So, such good. So good. We talked about the level of exposition right at the beginning of this podcast. And just to loop back to that, people talk a lot about Star Wars in terms of the information that it gives you or not. And I think people look to that, particularly with movies. Like, I see interviews calling that out all the time where, you know, they'll mention Jabba the Hutt in the first Star Wars movie, but you don't know who he is. Or you go into the cantina, you don't know what the stories of all of these different creatures are. And I think a lot of people take that in the wrong way, where they're like, we don't need to give you the information. We're just going to throw some details tells it there. But what they do in this volume of Lock and Key is they give you exactly the right amount of exposition. They fill in the backstory, but as we've talked about, it's not everything. Like, it's just the necessary things to flesh out the emotions and the plot going forward so that you know where we are in time. They fill in the gaps there, but it still feels like there's more story to tell. There's more about Rendell. There's more about Dodge pre Dodge times. There's more about the intervening years. Like all of these things are stories they could tell. And they do tell some of them in the golden age stories. They fill things in, but reading this in particular got me very excited for world war key because it felt like there are so many other things they can go back to and fill in and flesh out. And so many stories left in this world. And that's great. So because originally when I heard that, like, yeah, there's stuff we can play with. I was like, what? No, you guys covered everything, but rereading it, there is stuff to explore, which I didn't realize the first go around. Yeah. Like what's up with that goat? Like, did they eat the goat? Did that (laughs) infect other people? What's going on? Yes. When you specifically see. said no goat talk and then broke your own rule. Well, I got to tell you, we're about to go into uh, unlock our key moments here. And I've been making fun of you all podcast. But going into this volume, I was like, my key moment is that goat page. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because it really is like you're 100%. Just to reverse everything that I've said, that is an image that haunts my nightmares. So, sorry, yeah. Pete. I told you. Yes. Man, what a turnaround. Oh, my God. 
classic, classic flippity do, as we oh always call it. Just now what's I got to rethink what my key volume? moment was. Oh, what Pete? Just what was your key moment? Was it also the goat? It was going to be the goat until you said that. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Justin, what about you? The what's your key moment to this volume? Uh, I mean, there's the um, the panel, uh, the Tempest uh, panel that we saw earlier in the series, and we get to see just blown out in this over the four issues of this. Is it's such a it's such a key moment for the whole series, um, both in that it's it's setting up that you use these keys to make your life better, but it's all like teen better. Like imagine being like, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to put on a killer performance of the Tempest. (laughs) And just that, that low stakes thing with all these high stakes situations leads to so much tragedy. I think that's sort of a tiny little metaphor for the whole series. And I will mention as a little bit of a plug, if you haven't listened to the Gabriel Rodriguez interview, we talked to him about that double page spread, both previously and in Clockworks quite a bit. And he had a lot of good input on it. So definitely check out that interview. Pete, what's your key moment other than the goat? Okay, so I'm going to say the key moment is, you know, Dodge having that axe up to Tyler's throat, and then you just kind of the next panel, it immediately flips over. And that kind of really uh, uh, talks about how even when it's at the darkest, you know, then there is still so much hope and what a, a flipping of dynamics. And it's kind of like this whole thing of like we watch people have the good guys have the key, then the bad guys have the key. And it's this really back and forth battle that like has us on the edge of the seat the whole time. I got to say, I would love that moment more if Dodge uh, did that to Rendell and said, can I ask you a question? Oh, oh I yes. thought. I thought you were going to say you would have loved it more if you had a boner. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. Well, I mean, you can draw in a boner on any. <laughs> That's the beauty of comics. If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. At the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on by. We'll chat with you about Lock and Key. Socially, you can follow us at Lock and Key Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and comment. Please do comment on iTunes on Lock and Key Unlocked. We really appreciate it. That helps us a lot. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and more. And remember, if you're going to the bagel store, ask them for a little locks on your bagel. Oh boy. Good stuff. I like how I said you can put a boner on it, draw a boner on anything. And you were like, if you'd like to support this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>